So when I was a kid growing up in Palmdale in the 50s and 60s, we never locked the doors to our house. I don't even think we remembered where the key was left, although there was one kitchen drawer that had all kinds of junk in it, including a bunch of keys. It was probably in there. We just didn't need it. We didn't lock the door when we left. Besides, we had friends who might want to come by, and my dad had co-workers who would borrow things, tools out of the garage. You had to leave the house open. We never locked it even when we went on vacation. We didn't lock the car. In fact, they didn't use the key to the car, not because they had keyless ignition, but because those old Chevys in the 50s had a, a little knob you could actually turn without the key. The only reason you need a key is if you lock the ignition and pull the key out, which we never did because we didn't have the key in the first place. <laughs> My how times have changed, haven't they? This is not Palmdale in the 50s. You have all kinds of things you're concerned about. You protect your house. You protect your car. You protect your bank account. You protect your identity. You protect your computer. You wouldn't think about leaving something that's priceless unprotected. And that's what we're talking about today. Our series is on reflections. We're reflecting on different people who were involved in Holy Week back when Jesus was from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Specifically today, we're reflecting on protecting what's precious. So uh, on your outline, by the way, I have a question for you. In, it's, it's right here. What would you do? Let's say, let's say that you are planning a vacation you're going to be gone for a week, but you hear the uh, rumors around that there's been a rash of burglaries in your neighborhood, and most likely is the time that you're gone, there will be people prowling around your neighborhood. What would you do to protect your house? Now, by the way, while you're thinking, I just wanted to say that our travelers who are traveling around Israel, our, our, our pilgrims over there, we have about 15 of them, they're having a great time. I've seen a number of good pictures. But someone sent me a text and said, we were thinking of you, Pastor Evan. In fact, we were, they were looking at statues and one particular statue just made them think of me. And I was wondering, what was it? It's like <laughs> Moses carrying the tablets. <laughs> Elijah wielding the sword, King David. So I downloaded the picture, and this was the statue that reminded them of me. I don't know why. <laughs> so anyway, they're doing fine. But what if you were going to be gone for a week and chances are someone would try to break into your house? Before you left, what would you do? Now, I want you actually to turn to people you're near and just think of the first ideas that would come to your mind. And there's a place on your outline for you to jot down what would you do? This is not hard, but it it. I think it will apply metaphorically to how we want to protect what's priceless. So let's take 30 seconds, actually turn to someone, share your ideas, and maybe we'll have a few of you shout out a quick word after 30 seconds goes by. Ready, set, go. What would you do?
25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. All right. A couple, a couple words loudly. Uh, someone shout out something. House sitter. House sitter. Someone to watch the place. Neighbors. Neighbors. Pray. Pray, of course. Of course, you lock the doors. So, I hope you come up with some good ideas because you care about things that are precious to you. But what about your soul? There are schemes and scams and scandals that will destroy your soul. But we read about this kind of thing in the Bible. In fact, the person we're reflecting on today is, um, well, today's historical character is Peter, Peter the Apostle. And the event that we want to look at in John chapter 13 and 18, you have your Bible out, don't you? The event we want to look at is when Peter denied Jesus. If I were to make this into a movie, this little episode, and if I were to give that movie a title, I would call it something like Meltdown Around a Charcoal Fire. It's interesting that there is a particular word for a charcoal fire in the Greek language. It's actually related to our word anthrax. It's that noun is only used twice in the Bible. One of them is in these chapters where Peter denied Jesus. Remember, he was standing around a, not a blazing fire that's flaming furiously like a bonfire that you would have to stand back away from 10 feet, but it's a smoldering bed of charcoal embers. It specifically uses that word. Not every translation makes that clear, but it's one of the two places where this word shows up in your Bible. A kind of fire that would draw you in, that maybe there's a little bit of light, but not too much, where people around you might be able to see your face and ask you a question. Here is where, around a charcoal fire, that Peter denied Jesus. The other day, I put some bread in the toaster, pushed the handle down, and about a minute later, Linda says, what's that terrible smell? And I don't smell very well. Sometimes I don't smell very good either, but <laughs> <laughs> my ability to detect smell is not as keen as hers, but even I could tell something's wrong, and there's this stuff coming out of the toaster. We pulled the bread out, unplugged it, and down in the bottom is I don't know, something. It looked like a blob of liver or something. It was kind of reddish. and It took us a while to get that out. And evidently what had happened, a plastic chip clip in the cupboard above at some point fell out down into the toaster, and there it melted. Had a meltdown. We'll never use that chip clip again. Actually, we're not going to use the toaster again either. <laughs> Peter melted down around that 
charcoal fire because Satan was trying to melt him down. Satan didn't want him to be used ever again for God's purposes. He wants to steal what is priceless. He wants to go after your soul. So there's a lesson to learn here, and we're going to turn to John chapter 13 and 18. But first, write down what we should never forget. The lesson to learn is, I must protect my soul, my spirit, my heart. God has sent his rescue squad, Jesus the Messiah, but Satan wars against my soul. Now, you wouldn't leave your home unprotected, your computer unprotected, your car unlocked. Maybe we should give a few moments of thought to what I need to do. How, how do I do this? How do I protect what's so important to me? Now, uh, at the top of your outline, by the way, is a Bible verse, half of which most of us know very well. That's the half where Jesus said, I came to give you life and life that is abundant, life to the full, so that you may live life to the full. But that's not the way the verse starts. It's in John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about being a shepherd to people. But just like in those days, there were wolves and thieves that would want to steal sheep. Jesus said that's true about people too. So the first part of the verse says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So why don't you circle those words, steal, kill, destroy. And Jesus wasn't just talking about sheep. He's talking about me and you. That Satan wants to steal. Steal anything, anything of value that he can take away. To steal your joy. To steal your kids. To steal your money. He would love if he could siphon off some of your finances into evil enterprises in the world. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He likes to kill people. He likes to kill Christians. I think he would love to have killed Billy Graham about 50 years ago. But of course, God's protecting him. You know, don't do something stupid, but God, God's watching out over you. He loves to kill. We live in a culture that uh, often honors kill. You know, how many skulls and bones and evil things did you just see as artwork all around us? Satan loves to kill, loves to kill unborn children. Steal, kill. If he can't steal it away, or if, it's, if he can't kill it, then just destroy it. Just ransack the place. That's what a burglar would do. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your integrity, your reputation, your ability to give a, uh, uh, to influence people and, and, and share your faith with them. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why we have to 
protect what's priceless to us. But how do we do it? How do we do it? John chapter 13, verse 33. It's shortly before Jesus will be arrested in the garden, taken to trial, put on the cross. He says to his closest followers, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Look at verse 36. Peter asked him, well, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now. You will follow later. Well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is when Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Hmm. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, even with that warning, a warning that, you know, don't be so much confident in yourself. Be reliant on me, is what Jesus is saying. But in spite of that warning, you remember, after the Last Supper and after walking through the gardens, the soldiers came after Judas left. The soldiers came to arrest him, and uh, they took him away. Peter cut off the ear of one of the guys. Jesus had to heal it. So now I'm looking at chapter 18. Here's where the meltdown happens. And it happens rather subtly. You know, you would think if you were warned, you would be on your toes, right? But look how this happens. I think it's instructive. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. I'm at verse 12, chapter 18, verse 12. Verse 13, they bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter, in verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple, that was John, the one who's writing this, but he doesn't call himself by name. He says, the one that Jesus loved, the one who was right next to him at the supper, the, uh, the, uh, the other disciple. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus, and because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went in with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So they had a young girl, I don't know, 10 years old, 12 years old, standing at the door. Her job was to make sure that unauthorized people didn't come in. I don't think she beat them up if they didn't, but probably someone nearby that she could call on would make sure that this was enforced. So here's, here's a 10-year-old girl. Peter walks by, and watch how this happens in uh, verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. Have you ever noticed that the way you ask a question often implies the expected answer? Depends on where you put the word are and where you put the word aren't. She said, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She's saying, you're, yeah, you're really not. I mean, if you switch the words, it would be the opposite. You 
are one of his disciples, aren't you? See the difference? So here's a 10-year-old girl say, now you're not one of them. I think if it was someone big and strong and who looked like he's going to attack you and who confronts you and says, you are, you are, but there's a girl. She's 10 years old. She says, you're not, are you? Oh, and Peter says, oh, no, I'm not. See how subtle it is? It's the first step. And when you are so confident and, it, and, and Satan is so clever, he can get you to take the first step and you don't even realize it. She says, you aren't, you aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? She asked him. He said, I'm not. Now, it was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire. Here's that word. We saw a picture of burning coals, embers. Uh, it's, it's found two places in the Bible. There was this charcoal fire. Many translations actually use that word. This fire they had made to keep them warm. And Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, Jesus is being questioned. Peter's watching. We're going to skip a few verses. Turn to verse 25, chapter 18. He's already denied Jesus once. I'm not even sure he's aware of it. Oh, that was the first time. No, it's just, oh, no, no, no. And he walked on by the 10-year-old. Meanwhile, verse 25 says, Peter was still standing, standing there warming himself. And so they, now these are the soldiers and the servants and so on. These are grown men now, but they're standing around a fire. And notice how they ask the question. So they ask them, now, you aren't one of his disciples, too, are you? Oh, no, I am not. Number two. Satan just slips in there. The meltdown is two-thirds of the way through. Verse 26. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off about an hour ago or so, he challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Other, other uh, gospels tell us about Peter can see Jesus looking at him, and he just melts down. It's like, how could I do this? Well, because Satan wants to steal kill and destroy. And Peter is a very likely target and it happens so subtly. Have you noticed that in your life? I've heard it said that one of your greatest weaknesses is an unprotected strength. When you think you don't need help, oh, that's when you are so vulnerable. So let's ask the question, how? How do we protect what's priceless? How do we protect protect our soul. And let's, let's make a list. Remember the things we talked about that you would employ to protect your home. Let's make a list of those things that would, here are some ideas on how to protect your home. Some of the ones that uh, you shouted out. Like, first of all, I would say, well, first of all, turn on the lights. You know, set up a, uh, a timer or maybe even a motion detector. Turn the light on. Thieves love darkness. But if the light is shining, they're not going to show up there. So, yeah, you know, a guy like this who sees that there are windows and doors open and it's dark around there. No, no, turn on the light. Get the light going. That will scare them away. They want to work in the dark. Number two, set up a camera. 
Catch them in action. Identify who that culprit is. Yeah, don't let them get by. We want to know how they work and what they do. And that's going to help us and stop them. Number three, hire an armed guard. You know, someone with big muscles and firepower and handcuffs and billy clubs. You know, someone who can take action and, and someone who's authorized and empowered who can do something about it. When I was a kid, my dad had a 44 Magnum revolver and he would let me shoot it. He wanted me to know how to properly handle a powerful weapon. And uh, so we would take it target practicing and actually shooting that thing was a real kick. And I mean that literally, you shot that thing, you got a kick. But as a kid, I had a vivid imagination and you feel strong when you have a powerful weapon. Any of you remember the movie, the TV show Gunsmoke? I felt like Matt Dillon protecting Dodge City from all those bad culprits. I had a vivid imagination. Maybe if you look closely, you'll have a vivid imagination too. Yes, there I am. Okay, enough of that. But the point is, if a powerful enemy comes, you need to have power on your side. Turn on the light, set up a camera, hire an armed guard, hook up an alarm. Thieves love quiet. They don't want an alarm going off. They don't want the neighbors to hear. They don't want the cops to know. So set up an alarm at your house. These are the things that you would do to protect what's priceless in your home. What about your soul? All right, let's just Let's just take the same measures spiritually. Your soul needs light. It needs you, your, your mind, your heart. You need information. You need illumination. You need insight. And largely, this comes from God's word that shines in our heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And... You know, there are places you just need to know be, to turn on the light so Satan doesn't even want to come near you. Ephesians 5.8, you were once in darkness, but now you are children of light. Expose the deeds of darkness. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful how you live. See, it's these verses that tell us to turn on the light to scare Satan away. Set up a camera. You need to identify the culprit. Who is he? Recognize him. Things, a lot of things that happen aren't just random. It's... It's powers of darkness trying to take you down, melt you down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert. And now here's how Satan works. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. When you hear that roaring lion, you know you're being tempted. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. You know that the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory. So be strong and firm. 
and steadfast. First John chapter two says, I, I'm writing for young men, I'm writing for young adults, I'm writing for seniors. He said, what's the difference? You understand how Satan works. So we need that information. You need to be smarter about how Satan tempts people and wants to destroy. Hire an armed guard. What weapons are available to us? Well, how about Ephesians chapter 6? Put on the full armor of God. Resist Satan. Stand firm with the belt of truth and the, and the sword of the spirit and so on and so forth. You, you, we should know what these weapons and this armor is and to protect ourselves with them. God's word has the answers. Um, when Jesus was tempted, Matthew chapter 4, what did he use? He quoted scriptures. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here's another one. And this is why I mentioned my dad's 44. Because 1 John 4.4 4 is one of those verses I use to encourage me when I feel like, but Satan is so powerful. 1 John 4.4 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, Satan prowls around this world, but God has put his spirit in you. I've encouraged many people with 44, 1 John 4, 4. If you have God's spirit in you, he will alert you. He will protect you and stand firm. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And hook up an alarm. You know, sound off. We want the neighbors to know. We want the cops to know. Let that alarm ring out. So... Galatians says, share one another's burdens. When we struggle with things and we're not willing to share them with other people, it's like there's no alarm going off. Sound off. Now you have, you men, you have the men's group on Saturday morning. Ladies meet together on Wednesday night. You have your youth group. You have your close friends. You can say, I'm struggling with this. Sometimes it's just sharing it. Years ago, I had a truck driver fellow said, hey, when I'm gone from home, I really struggle with pornography. So we talked about some things he could do, but actually it was just coming in and saying that to the pastor that broke the power of it over. Oh, he struggled some for a while, but later he said, you know, in that time when I came in and talked to you, that was the beginning of the end of that addiction. But if you have no alarms going up, if you're not sharing your burdens, or like James says, confess your sins one to another. Find that person that you can share with. Say, I'm, I'm struggling in this way. That will energize you. They're going to pray for you. Turn on the light. Set up a camera. Hire an armed guard. Hook up an alarm. You have all the answers available to you. You just have to put them into practice. Because Satan wants you to melt down. But Jesus is your savior. He came to give you the tools you would need to resist the powers of evil all around us. Now at the very bottom of your page, I want you to write down about the other charcoal fire. <laughs> because in John chapter 21, this is after the resurrection. 
Jesus told his followers, go to Galilee and wait for me. Well, they got tired of waiting, and they went fishing one night. They fished all night and caught nothing. But in the morning, they saw someone on the shore. And he said, throw your nets on the other side. And they caught so many fish that it became obvious, that's Jesus. You remember how Peter jumped in the, in the lake and swam to shore. And when he got there, there is Jesus standing next to a, well, it says... Standing right next to a charcoal fire. He had made breakfast. By the way, do you know how Jesus makes breakfast on the beach? Breakfast. Poof. <laughs> I mean, and so it wasn't a raging fire. It's a little charcoal fire warming up these fish exactly like the fire. The only other place it's mentioned is John 18 and John 21. Because the same place where Peter melted down, melted down, was the same place where Jesus was going to put him back together, at least around the same set of circumstances. And this is where Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Three times he denied him. Three times he got to affirm that. And that's where Jesus said, you are going to be the one. Satan wants you to be out of commission. But Peter was the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preach the good news for the very first time. Use the keys of the kingdom to open the door so that anyone could walk in. And when they said, what should we do? Basically, Peter said, you need to protect yourself. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you've put your faith in Christ, but Satan has been harassing you. Turn on the light, set up the alarm, use the weapons. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Why not today? Why not say, I need your forgiveness? Even now, as we come to the communion table, Heavenly Father, Thank you that you've done all to give us forgiveness in Jesus. We come to you. We give you ourselves. We accept you as our Lord and Savior. But we need your ongoing protection. Even now, Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, we remember that night, the same night when Jesus told Peter to be careful. Satan is going to you're going to deny me. And Lord, we have to say, we too have sinned. We've denied you. We've gone the wrong way. We're like sheep who've gone astray, but we're coming back. Forgive us. Protect us. And thank you for giving your life for us. Like the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. Our ushers are coming to share the communion tray down your aisle. Take the bread and the cup. You don't have to be a member here. Just if Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, join with us. You can put the empty cup in the seat rack in front of you as we commune together.
I like that. I'm running to your arms. Or I think of Peter. He didn't even wait for them to row the boat ashore. I'm swimming to you. And if you've been touched in a way, Lord, I need you, then I'm just going to stand right here. And if you need someone to confess to or share with or pray with, that's why I'm here. I'll meet you out on the patio later. But why wait another day? Give your heart fully to Jesus. He's the, your good shepherd. May you walk securely in him as he protects you by his love and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.